We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. If you want to open your Bibles there, high schoolers, you are dismissed. And away we go. As you're making your way there to Ephesians 5, I'll tell you a story uh, about uh, a guy um, called up uh, his son. Uh, and, uh, you know, he and, and, he and his wife had been married 30 years. He calls his son. He says, hey, uh, I just want to thought I'd give you a call, tell you that your mom and I, uh, we're, we're breaking up. We're splitting up. You know, I, I'm just done. I'm over it. And his, his son is, you know, just dumbfounded. He's, he's, he's always known his mom and dad to have a close relationship. He's like, what are you talking about? What, you, this is crazy. And his father's like, hey, look, I made up my mind. It's done. I just thought I'd call you and let you know. The son's like, look, this is not happening. Me, me and Julie, we are getting on a plane. We're getting on the next plane. We're coming out. We're going to take care of this nonsense, dad. And he hangs up the phone. And the father turns to his wife. He says, well, the kids are coming for Easter. And they're paying for the flight, you know. And uh, I, I tell you that story by way of introduction because uh, we're going to be talking about submission today. Uh, it's one of those issues uh, that, uh, well, when you talk about submission, uh, it, 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 it's there at the heart uh, of the marriage relationship. Uh, what we're going to see today is it actually extends uh, a lot farther than, than just the husband and wife relationship when we deal with this, this issue of submission. It's so funny. I preached the message today, and I must have had a half a dozen guys come up to me after the service, at first service. They're like, oh, that was a great message. I'm like, not one woman came up and said, thank you for that message. That was awesome. Um, but, uh, but at any rate, listen, the Bible has a lot to say about submission. Uh, we're going to look at that uh, today. Uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 5. So, um, the big idea of last week's message was this idea that we need to walk in wisdom. Paul says this in verse 15, he says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. The issue is if we want to be wise, we can't be under the influence of, our, of the world system in which we live or any other thing, any intoxicants. We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul's been talking about this. And, you know, he talks in, in the book of Ephesians about how there's a, a course to this world. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. And this world has a very distinct course to it. Paul's say, saying, look, you, you have to be careful if you want to be wise not to set your, your course by the course of this world, but you have to, you have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and that word filled that he uses in verse 18 has nothing to do with quantity. Rather, it, it speaks of, of that which you're controlled by. As an example, if you look in Luke chapter 4, where it says that the Jews were filled uh, with wrath and they tried to kill Jesus Christ, um, the, the idea isn't the quantity of their wrath, rather it's because they were controlled by their wrath. And so this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, we need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And here's the deal. You will be controlled by something. The question isn't, is something going to control your life? The question is, what is it that's going to control your life? Because you're either going to be controlled by greed or by ambition or by anger or by lust or by whatever it is, fill in the blank, or you're going to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And, and what Paul is saying is, listen, Christians, they need, we need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And just one of those questions I'd ask you just out the gate, maybe you jot down in your notes and take a walk with, what controls me? 
What is it that controls me? What is it that controls my life? Well, what we're going to see is that if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then what happens is the Holy Spirit now controls you and it begins to manifest itself in different ways. If you're under the influence or the control of the Holy Spirit, it's going to control what comes out of your mouth, it's going to control what motivates your heart, and it's going to control the, the manner in which you serve the Lord. Uh, continuing, verse 19, Paul says, Speaking to one another... In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Again, being filled with the Holy Spirit now uh, affects, it controls what comes out of your mouth. He continues, verse 20, uh, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So not only is it going to control what comes out of your mouth, but it's going to control uh, what, your motivate, what, what your motivations are. What is the motive of your heart, uh, that which you're controlled by? And then he says in verse 21, submitting to one another in the, the fear of of God. And so this is the control of the manner in which you serve. So so it's the the control of your mouth, the control of your motives, the control of your manner. All of this is done by what controls you? Are you controlled by the spirit or are you controlled by the flesh? And and we see this in our lives. This isn't a one and done kind of thing. I mean, you know, you can be a a spirit-filled, God-loving Christian and then have those times when you're not operating in accordance with the the spirit, but you're operating in in accordance with the the, the flesh. You know, you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off. Uh, you know, or, or whatever it is. I mean, we have those different things that happen in our lives where, you know, maybe what comes out of our mouth, you're like, well, that was not from the Holy Spirit of God. And, and so what, what Paul says, firstly, is just that. He speaks about what comes out of our mouth. He says that if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's going to be reflected in the things that come out of our mouth, speaking to one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Jesus said this, he said, a, a good man out of the good treasure in his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. King Solomon said this, he said that the mouth of the wicked pours forth evil. We've all experienced that, haven't we? Brent and I were watching a, a movie this last weekend, and it has this, the, as its central character, this, uh, this woman who's just this intensely bitter, angry woman. And, and there she's, you know, you see just in the, the way that she lives her life, how it poisons the whole atmosphere of her home. And we see all the baggage that her kids have, and we see all the baggage that's in, you know, her family, and how it impacts her relationship with her spouse, and how it was the result of, of her, you know, the, her upbringing and all. But I, I'm watching this movie, and I'm watching this woman, and, I, and I'm thinking, and I say out loud, this woman needs Jesus. And Brenda's like, it's a movie, Ted. <laughs> she, st- she still needs Jesus, you know? And, and how many do we know, do we experience, do we encounter? Hey, maybe, you know, we ourselves take a walk with this where, man, I need Jesus. Because out of the overflow of the heart, as Jesus said, the mouth does speak. 
And sometimes, you know, someone, and, and it's not in my notes, but there's sometimes you encounter somebody, you know, the person that most needs the headbutt is the one that needs the hug and the love, you know, and there's maybe there's somebody difficult in your life. I think, I, I, I think that observation may be just a word from the Spirit for somebody here. Maybe you're dealing with somebody who's really unlovable, and, and the Lord would just say to you, you need to love them with the love of Christ, not because they deserve it, because they need it, because they need a heart transformation. And we need to pray for those people. And so, again, whatever is controlling you, that's what's going to control what comes out of your mouth. This is, this is what, what Paul says here. And, and, and so, you know, it is this amazing thing. The psalmist said, uh, you will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are, are pleasures forevermore. See, when we, when we are with the Lord and in His presence, well, the result is a fullness of joy. And out of that overflow of our hearts, that's how our mouth will speak. And again, we're going to be looking at this issue of submission. Uh, really, all of this comes from us being submitted to the Lord. But, but you know, this issue of submission in marriage relationship, and some of you here, uh, by the way, just show of hands, how many, how many of y'all are married? Can you participate here and see? All right. Uh, now, now, most of you, the majority of you, 80, 85% of you, maybe 90% of you married, um, but this issue of submission, it, 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 it's a, a, applicable in every area of our life. And, and, you know, when we're talking about, you know, issues of, man, where is your heart at? Some of you in the place in your marriage, well, it's just uh, things aren't good right now. And, uh, and, you know, maybe the stuff that's been coming out of your mouth, uh, you know, hasn't been edifying, hasn't been what the psalmist de- de- describes as a, as a fullness of joy. The pleasures forevermore. And, and what, I would, what I would float out to you is, is that, hey, listen, don't, don't let your circumstances control you. Rather, it's to, to let the, the, the Spirit of God control you. See, it comes to my mind when I, when I think about circumstances. Peter said this in 1 Peter 1.8. He said, you love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Now, who Peter is writing to, it's interesting there. He's writing to a group of Christians that had been dispersed during a time of intense persecution. You can read about it in Acts chapter 8. But basically, uh, there's, this, there's this intense persecution that comes upon the church. Christians are being jailed. They're being killed. Uh, they're, they're being intensely persecuted. And, um, and they're scattered because of this. And it says that as they scattered, they went about everywhere to all the different places that they were scattered, sharing the gospel and, and living out their faith. And this is who Peter writes to, uh, who, these pe- believers who he calls pilgrims of, dis- of dispersion. And as he's writing to these pilgrims of dispersion, that's the word that he uses, that you've got this beautiful faith, you, you, this beautiful faith, and, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. See, that just puts to, to rest and just quenches this idea that, that, you know, my circumstances are why I'm in such a bad mood. My circumstances that, hey, listen, you know, you, you, you talk to somebody. How you doing? Well, I'm all right under the circumstances. As somebody once said, well, what are you doing under those? You know, I mean, the, the, the thing is, we all have circumstances. We all have stuff we have to deal with. The issue is in his presence, his fullness of joy. I can be in the midst 
of intense persecution. I can be in the midst of, of a horrible trial, of, of very bad circumstances, and yet I can experience the joy of the presence with the Lord. So not only do, do we have this issue of, you know, what's controlling me, affecting what comes out of my mouth, but also Paul goes on to, to describe what controls you, uh, is, it, it affects the motives of your heart. Um, he says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, see, if you're controlled by the Spirit of God, well, then what happens is you're operating in this place of joy, in this place of, of, of fellowship with God, and that changes your motives altogether. Now you're, you're operating from a place of thanksgiving and gratitude. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, he said this, he said, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And then he adds this, he says, Do not quench the Spirit. We quench the spirit when, when we are unthankful, when we, when we are bitter. Warren Wiersbe said this, he said, The person who thinks that the world owes him a living uh, is never thankful for anything. He thinks he's doing others a, a favor by permitting them to serve him. The thankful heart, on the other hand, is humble and gladly acknowledges God as the giver of every good and perfect gift. Quoting from the book of James. The Bible says that thankfulness actually helps cure anxiety and fear. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, and here it is, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so this, this issue is, is that if, if, if I'm going to have fellowship with God, and if I'm going to enjoy His presence, and if in His presence is fullness of joy, and if then I'm confronted with a situation that is overwhelming, one where I, need to, I have this desire to be anxious or to be fearful, well, Paul says, no, 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 in that place, what you do is you remember all that you have to be thankful for. And we sang today about, you know, this, this mountain that... that, that God will turn into a molehill, you know? And, and so what happens is we're faced, confronted with a mountain. Well, man, if, if I've got this, this motive of my heart being one of thankfulness because I remember all that God has done in my life, all the times that, that he himself has been so faithful to me, well, now then I can move forward in an attitude of thankfulness, even in the midst of this trial, because I can say, Lord, I don't know how all this is going to work out. I don't know what you're going to do here. I don't know what rabbit you're going to pull out of what hat, but I know that you're faithful. And so I can be thankful even in the midst of my circumstances and my trials, just as, as, as James tells me that you're going to use these trials to perfect me. So you've allowed me to be in this situation, and I can trust you in it. Man, that's, that's awesome when, when being so controlled by the Spirit uh, can affect our motives in that way. Well, not only does it affect our mouths and our motives, but it also affects the manner in which we serve. And this is kind of what we're going to dial into for the rest of today. He says in verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Now, that word submit... Um, First of all, it's not a four-letter word, right? <laughs> Literally or figuratively. Um, and uh, and th- this idea of submission, uh, it's a military word. It literally means to, to be under in rank. And here's what Paul's talking about when he says submitting to one another. It's this idea of, you know, when a, when a guy joins the military, 
Um, he joins the military, and, and what happens is the first thing they do is they strip away his individuality. And so what they're going for is, look, you're not, you're not a, an individual in it for self. It's not all about you. The world doesn't revolve around you. Rather, you're now part of a company. You're part of a battalion. You're part of a unit. And now what happens is that everything no longer revolves around you individually, but the focus shifts to what's best for the unit, not what's best for you. And, and, and so uh, this is what Paul is saying is this is how we're supposed to think as Christians. Not, hey, what's, what's best for me, but, but what's best for us collectively. Now, I don't know if you're familiar with the Army slogan. They've changed it recently. What is it? It's an army of one, right? That's their big push, an army of one. Uh, and, uh, and really... Um, they're appealing to this intensely individualistic, sinful nature of mankind when they say it's an army of one. You can be you, and you can be unique, and, you know, and it just buys into what the, our, this whole generation now has been fed from the time they were in diapers. You know, you're special. You're a snowflake. You're one of a kind. You know? And everybody believes this. That I'm, and so then the army suckers you in, and they're like, the first thing they do is break you and tell you it is not all about you. And they're like, oh, well, you thought it was one you, ha ha, it's one us. That's the idea that we all become one. And, and what Paul is saying here is that we need to submit to one another with this attitude of saying, look, it's not about what's best for you. It's about what's best for the body of Christ. And sometimes what's best for the body of Christ means that I must decrease and he must increase, right? And that's not sometimes, that's every time. That's every day, 24-7. That, that we need to be those people that love like Jesus loved. It says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. A love that says, well, the Bible tells us that, that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He did what was best for us. And we as Christians, we're called to do what's best for one another. This is the idea here. Hey, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And, and notice he does add that in the fear of God. And here's the idea. It's not that you're afraid of God, but fear speaks of a reverential fear of God. The, the, that's key to understanding biblical submission, this reverential fear of God. Absolutely key to understanding it. See, because what Paul is saying is that submission is really more about your relationship with God than it is about the, the, the situation the, the, or whatever, in, you know, situation you might be in. And what we're going to see now, Paul repeats this for, for the next 20 verses, all through the rest of chapter 5 into chapter 6. What, what Paul is focusing on as he's talking about our walk in Christ, basically it's inextricably linked to this idea of I'm submitted to God out of reverential fear, and being submitted to God out of reverential fear means that I need to submit myself to his Godly order. Now, understanding that there is a godly order is super important. And, you know, sometimes I'll take couples through marriage counseling, and, and inevitably you get to, to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through, through 33, and you, you're talking about the husband role, you're talking about the wife's role, and, and so, you know, here what happens is, you know, this issue of submission comes up because, you know, it's right there. And, and oh, there's so much I want to say. Let me just say this, just so you're out the gate, okay? Um, 
I did a wedding one time, uh, and uh, I've done a few of them, but, I, but I, on this one particular wedding, I had a, a, a mom, minutes before the ceremony, she came up to me and she, she said, uh, I want you to take submission out of the wedding vows. And, uh, and I said, well, it's not your wedding, number one. Uh, number two, I didn't put it there. God put it there. And, uh, and so I'm, I don't have the liberty to take it out. And uh, she didn't like me um, after that point. She didn't want to talk to me. She was very angry with me. She, uh, you know, anyway, um, she, she just was not a fan. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, what I, what I told her is what I tell you. As, I, as we come now, you know, to, to Ephesians 22, 23, 24, and we look at this issue of submission, I would tell you, ladies, listen, God put it there. Now, I'll do my best to, 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 to teach this to you in a respectful way and in, and, and in a God-honoring way, but I want you to understand as we talk about submission that God put it there and this is God's structured order. And I'd also say this. Um, we all have to submit in various areas. Again, you know, Paul's going to go through this. He's going to talk about wives submitting to your own husbands as unto the Lord. And then he's going to talk about children obey your parents. And that word is the same word uh, that is used for submit. Obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And then he goes on. He talks about bond servants. Uh, be obedient to your masters. And again, that word is submit. Um, and, you know, that would be applicable for us that we in the employer-employee relationship, we have to submit. We're called to submit to the government authorities. Uh, the, the Bible speaks over and over again about roles that we all have in areas of submission. Um, and, and so, you know, ultimately, this is the whole problem of mankind, was that things at one time were glorious, and then they rebelled against God and would not submit to His law and to His authority. That's why sin entered into the world in the first place. And so, this issue about submission, we all have this responsibility to submit on some level. I served as an assistant pastor for 15 years. And so I know firsthand that was, that was, and prior to that in the fire department, you know, I was a paramedic, but I was under the engineer, had to submit to his authority. I was under the captain, had to submit to his authority. I was under the battalion chief, had to submit to his authority. I was under the division chief, had to submit to his authority. And so we all have to submit on some level. And so when I talk about biblical submission, I come from a place of, of empathy in the sense that I understand, uh, I know what it is to submit, and I know the difficulties of it, and yet this is a biblical order, it's a biblical structure. So jumping into it, here's what Paul says now. Oh, and by the way, we're only going to concentrate on the, 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 the biblical issue of submission for wives, uh, only for time's sake, and I want you women to know that after next week, because we have Easter next week, the week after that, it's going to be all about the man, all about the role. Husbands, love your wives, and you got to be the, the head of the wife is Christ, the head church, and, and all that that entails, uh, and I will be beating up heavily on the men, I promise you. And some of you guys, you read ahead, and your, your wives, are, you're wondering, like, he was, he was ready for church early today. He was in the driveway, honking the horn. Come on, honey, get it, let's go. We got to get to church, because, you know, he read. Oh, we're going to be in Ephesians 5, 22, 23, 24. Wives, submit to your own husband. Great message. This is awesome. And in a couple of weeks, he's going to be like, oh, I don't want to go to school today, mom, kind of thing. And you're going to say, oh, no, that I sat through that message two weeks ago. You're, you're going to church today, right? 
right? So we're in this together. We're going to get it. And um, anyway, so women, wives, verse 22. Submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, let me say a couple of things, lest, lest I, I, I forget and I want to make sure I get these in right, right up front. And I've actually written this in my Bible, and maybe you might want to write it as well. Right after verse 24, uh, so also the wives must submit to their husbands in everything. I wrote, never to sin, never to abuse. And I want to, as my caveat, I just want to say that up front. Women, you are not called biblically to submit to sin. If your husband decides that you're going to, you know, I got you a ski mask, we're going to go rob a bank to, to balance a checkbook, you don't have to submit to that. More realistically, if your husband says, hey, just, you know, lie, lie to my employer, I'm not going in, and, and I want you to lie, you don't have to submit to that. That's, sin, that's sinful. You don't have to submit to, hey, I, I, I lied on the income taxes, just sign it. You don't, you don't, don't have to submit to sinful behavior. Uh, as well, you don't have to submit to abuse. If you are being abused, and I want to say this very clearly, if your husband is abusing you, you need, you need help and you need it now, and you need the, 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 the cure, it, the truth will set you free. The cure for your marriage is not you lying for your husband and covering, covering it up and putting yourself in a, in a dangerous situation. So I want to be very clear when I talk about biblical submission. I'm not talking about you being a punching bag. And I'm not talking about you being in a situation where you are, are an accomplice to sin. I'm not talking about that at all. But Paul says wives need to submit to their own husbands as unto the Lord. Now, let me tell you what else I'm not talking about when we look at this. Um, it, this text does not say that the, that the woman is inferior to the man. That's not what the text says. And the text does not even say that the woman is inferior to the husband. Again, this is God-given roles. And God appoints men and women to different roles within the church. And so this is an issue of, hey, listen, women are every bit as equal as men. They, they, this doesn't mean that, that the man is smarter than the woman. This doesn't mean that the man is better than the woman. This simply means that the man's role is to be the leader and the head of the marriage relationship. That's, that's his role. Now, here's what I would say. Jesus Christ, he's the head of the church, isn't he? And, and this is what, what the, the, the text says, that, you know, for the husband, verse 23, is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. Now, how is Jesus the head of the church? Well, here's the thing. He, too, is in submission to the Father, is he not? Absolutely. Jesus submits to the Father, and yet he's the head of the church. So, too, husbands have to submit to Jesus Christ, but we're the head of our wives. You get it? So there's that position of authority, but it's not better. It's not inferior. It's not, I'm here and you're here. It's, hey, look, we're equal, but we have different roles. We have different responsibilities. So, so, so here's the idea. Now, the problem with submission is manifold. There's, there's many aspects to it. 
One of the biggest problems that I experience in the explanation of marriage and, and going through this issue of, sub, of the role of the submissive wife and the husband's responsibility as the head, um, well, I'll just start with the biggest problem, and this is just sort of a footholder till the message two weeks from now. The biggest problem is that we have a whole generation of boys, of men that act like boys. That's the biggest problem. Biggest problem in the area of submission is a bunch of, of men who won't lead. And, that, and you put your wives in a position where, you know, someone's got to lead. And, and so, so often it's the woman that's, that steps up and leads because, because you're a little boy who refuses to grow up. Peter Pan syndrome. I mean, you know, there was a commercial. I asked first service. Nobody knew it. Nobody remembered it. But there, it was a local commercial, so whatever. It, it, there was, there's a restaurant chain called OG's. And they produced this commercial, and basically the whole commercial was about this, this woman that was nagging after her husband, like, you know, clean the garage, clean the garage, clean the garage. And, and then, so she's cast in this light where she's playing mom to this little kid, and, and the scene is she pokes her head out to the garage. He's out in his garage, and she pokes it out. She's like, clean this garage. And then, you know, she comes back, honey, have you cleaned the garage yet? And then she says, I'll take you to OG's. And the kid, and the kid, the guy is like, oh, okay, now he starts cleaning the garage. And, and that's the biggest problem in marriage, is that a woman goes, submit to that? I mean, I, I have to change his diaper for crying out loud. I mean, he's just, you know, he needs to grow up. And, and so you're like, whoa, Ted, you said you were going to beat us up in two weeks. I know, I just can't wait. I just want to get started now. <laughs> so that's part of it. That's part of the problem. But, but, but another part of this issue with submission is that, is that a lot of times I encounter women that don't understand what submission really is. Because the attitude is, oh yeah, I, I, I'll submit. I, I, I understand biblical submission. I, I understand that it's important. I know my role is, is to submit. But, but the problem is he's wrong. <laughs> yeah, you say that like it's something new. No, and, and so, uh, and I've actually had women say that to me in counseling situations, but, but he's wrong. I'm like, that has nothing to do with submission. Absolutely nothing. See, because what that statement embodies is an attitude that says, oh, submission means that if, if I agree with his decision, then I go along with it. Well, no, that's not submission. That's doing what you want to do. See, submission is doing what you don't want to do, right? Submission is being able to say, ah, oh, I will submit. I will place myself under your authority. And I'll pray that God gives you wisdom because you're making a foolish mistake kind of thing. Fool, you know. so, so submission means you know, placing yourself under. So that's, that's the biggest problem that I see. But here's the thing. The Bible over and over again calls the woman to submit. I'll give you, I got verses, man, to support it. Um, Colossians 3, Titus 2, 1 Peter 3, here in Ephesians 5. They all indicate that the wife is to, to help her husband in submission. Colossians 3.18. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting. I've seen every guy's writing this down, you know. Let me get that ammunition, right? Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Titus 2, 4, and 5. Admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their husbands. It's the word submit in the original language. I checked it out. Uh, That the word of God may not be blasphemed. Again, 1 Peter 3.1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that if even some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of your wives. So 
the issue of submission, it's, it, is, it is greatly supported through Scripture. This is the role. This is the responsibility. Here's how it's supposed to work. Here's the problem with submission. Problem with submission is sin. That's the problem. Sin on your husband's part and sin on your part. See, when you go back into the book of Genesis and you look at the creation that God created, it was awesome, and then they rebelled against God. They didn't submit to His authority. And so chaos entered the world, and, and because of, of this sin entering into the world, every relationship was jacked up. Every relationship then on, then on out is, is, is turned sideways, and now God's in damage control. And so, so this issue of sin, then God shows up, and He judges sin, and, he, and for the men and for the women, there were consequences, for the man, it was all about, look, ain't nothing coming easy for you, Jack. You got to, you know, work hard, and it's by the sweat of your brow that the, the earth is going to produce for you, and, and it's going to produce thorns and thistles, and that's, that's your curse. And so for the man, translated, you know, you, you got the burden to, to lead and to work and, to, and, and all, and, and really what happens largely, and when I talk about grown men acting like little boys, what men try to do today is try to shuck their respos and they try to push their curse off onto the woman. And so they put her in a position where she has to work, where she has to lead, where she has to do all of these things. All right, I'm, I, 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 I'll get you guys in a couple of weeks. So th- this is what happens to the men. Here's what happens to the women. It, what God, you know, pronounces the curse on women and, and, you know, the whole pain and childbearing thing, that's, that's, that's harsh enough. I mean, if men had to do that, we'd have about, you know, a tenth of the world's population, I think. But, but that's just part of it. The other part for you ladies is it says that your desire will be for your husband, but he will rule over you. Eh? That sounds like a good thing. Oh, you know, my desire should be for my husband. Yeah, except for when you get to the next chapter, Genesis chapter 4, and you look how God uses it there. He uses it in relation to, to talking with Cain and basically says, look, sin's desire is for you. Sin, sin is just is creeping there, hanging, hanging right outside your door, and, and its desire is to rule over you. See, that's the idea. And so what happens for women, I would sum it up this way, and guys, pay attention. What I'm about to say, worth the price of admission today, okay? Do you, under, do you know why your wife is an enigma wrapped in a riddle? Do you? Here's why. Because her desire is for you. And that's, that, there's two sides to that coin. The one side is she desires you. She wants you to be her knight in shining armor. But she wants to tell you how to rescue her. See, that's, that's what this means. The, 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 that's the curse of fallen man. And so, so for, for you to submit is a very difficult thing for all of those reasons. Because your husband is sinful and largely he pushes off his responsibilities and puts you in a place where you have to submit to a sinner. And, and also because you're dealing with your own sinful nature that just has a really difficult time submitting. It's, it's awesome if I, could, if I could have you be my savior, but, but you know what? Don't ride the horse that way. Ride it this way. Don't wield the sword that way. Wield it this way. Don't whisk me off my feet this way. Whisk me off my feet this way. Right? And so, so that's the issue that's at hand here, and yet the Bible is very clear. Submit. You're called to submit. So you're like, okay, great. Help me out here. How do I do it? I'm so glad you asked. I've got some suggestions. Actually, Peter does. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And and I'm going to go through these fairly quickly, God willing. 
1 Peter chapter 3. I'll start in verse 1. Peter says, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now, here's my first point with that. I'll put it on the screen for you. A, and these are the ABCs of submission. A, actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. Now, this verse, let me be clear, it doesn't mean that you can't ever talk, okay? That, that's not what this verse means. And, I, and I'll just simply say this on this point so, so that I'm clear on it and right out the gate with it. Um, men, God has given your wife to you. He makes it abundantly clear in his word that, that, that you know, Genesis uh, chapter 2, verse 18, uh, God says, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper comparable to him. And the literal translation of that word helper is help, help. Why does he say help, help? Because you need help, help, okay? And so he, you know, and here it is. Up until this point, God creates. It is good, it is good, it is good, it was very good. And then this is the first time in Scripture where it says it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. And the issue here is that God makes your compliment in a woman, okay? And he, and he brings her specifically to you. And there's all sorts of, uh, of stuff to see there that I don't have time to get into that I'll get into in a couple of weeks. But just basically the way that, that God creates her and brings her to, to Adam, very specific, very instructive in that, you know, because God could have created Eve any, any old way he wanted to. He made Adam out of the dirt. You know, he could have made her out of the dirt. He created the planets and everything out of thin air, spoke them into existence. He could have created her that way, but he created her out of his rib which is amazing when you study it in the Hebrew because it's blood transfusion. And, and, you know, we have our life. You know, the, 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 God talks about the, the church being the bride of Christ and, 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 and the church exists because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, Christ being the head of the church. I mean, there's all this neat stuff to see. I'm not going to talk about all that. Here's the idea, though. God gives you a wife and, and you need to understand that you need your wife's help. And you need to understand that your wife is not a potted plant in the relationship. She is there in, in so many ways to help you, and she sees things that you don't see. And I, I have learned, I've been married almost 30 years, and I have learned to listen to my wife. And you need to understand that for your wife to submit to you is a very difficult and precarious thing. And so for that reason, you don't take the line of, hey, I'm the head, you submit, so this is what you're doing, and this is what you need to do, zip it, you know. And um, those of you that like sleeping on the couch, do that. Go ahead, knock yourself out. Um, But you don't do that because that's very foolish. What you do is you need to give your wife time to be able to speak, to be able, to be able to articulate, to be able to share with you, all right, honey, I know that you want to sell everything we own and move to Pigs Knuckle, Arkansas, but I'm seeing some problems with that. And so what happens is you need to be able to listen to her and you need to let her have her say. I just, if you think about it, you know, wives, you're supposed to submit like Christ submits to, the, to God the Father. If you think about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, well, was that a long conversation? Yeah, it was hours long. 
Well, the guys are like, thanks, Pastor Ted. Yeah, it was a long time. He's like, you know, Father, if there's any other way for us to, to do this thing, I'm all ears, man. How about it? And, and, you know, and what does he come to? Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. But he, he had to and, and was given that time of, of discussion to be able to, to, hey, let's talk this out here. We need to give our wives the same consideration. So an opportunity to talk, an opportunity to share, an opportunity to articulate, all those things are very important. And then we have, you know, a, a decision to make. Now, the point is actions speak louder than words. Now, having had your say, the idea here and what Paul is, or what Peter's talking about when he talks about um, that you need to be submissive to your own husbands and that, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won. The idea is winning over by the conduct of their wives. And the idea here is that you're not contentious. There's a fine line between sharing your opinion and being contentious. Let me just share a couple of scriptures with you. God's word, not mine. All right. Proverbs 27, 15. A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Proverbs 14, 1. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. See, your marriage is not supposed to be like that. Proverbs 31 says, Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. See, that's, that's, the, that's the, the, the prescription here. That's the idea how it's supposed to be. Now, when you have those conversations with your spouse, and some of you are in the situation where it's like, hey, look, I know that I'm supposed to submit to my husband, but the, the, the problem is, if I let him lead, and if I wait for him to make a decision, he ain't never making a decision. He's not going to make it. Because, you know, he pretty much just ignores it, plays video games or whatever it is, and I'm left to, to kind of rule over things. Some of you are in marriages like that. Two things I'd say to that. Number one, if you're single and you're, you're dating a guy like that, not marriage material, okay? Just know that. That's, that's, that's a freebie right there. I just gave it to all you single ladies. Just avoid that guy. You're not going to fix him. You're not going to make him better. Just go find a better model. Um, but, but secondly, here's what I would say. For you that are married like that, uh, there's a couple of things for you to do. Number one, manage up. Write this down. Manage up. Here's how you manage up. You say, honey, here's the problem. You use the military method of problem solving. Here's the problem. And then you say, here's three possible solutions. And this is the one I recommend, and this is why I recommend it. That's managing up. Okay, that's, that's you now in a position of being the leader in your home saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to extricate myself from this position of leadership and I'm going to, you know, encourage you in that position of leadership. That doesn't mean you can't, you know, stop being, my wife still does this with me in different areas where she'll see something, she'll say, hey, here's the problem as I understand it, here's the potential solutions as I see, this is what I recommend. But now it's in my lap. You, you pray about it, you decide, you do whatever God calls you to do. Isn't that freeing? Doesn't that help you? You're not left in this place where you're, hey, you're just the potted plant. You're here for decoration. Just keep your mouth shut. That's not what the Bible says. And that's not your role. 
So, so embrace that and, 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 you know, do that. But at the same time, understand, actions speak louder than words. If, if it's the constant, you know, honey, clean the garage, honey, clean the garage. Or if it's a constant, honey, the, the, you know, this or that or whatever it is, and you turned into mom instead of wife, man, extricate yourself from that. Actions speak louder than words. Here's the second thing Paul, or Peter says. Beauty is both inward and outward. Verse 3 he says, do not, merely, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. There's lots of women that focus on this. And they're like, okay, I got you know, to do all this. It's got to all be the outward. But he's, Peter says, verse 4, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. How many of y'all have met somebody that's gorgeous on the outside and then they open their mouth and they ugly up real quick? Right? Men and women. Nobody's got the corner on this market. They're those people that you go, wow, beautiful. Well, not so much. Right, And so the, the idea, second point, beauty is both inward and outward. You need to, to focus on, hey, listen, is, is my character, who I am, is this a beautiful thing? Proverbs 11.22 says, As a ring of gold in a swine's snout, so is a lovely woman who lacks discretion. Now that word discretion is very telling here. It means one who lacks reason. Here's the point of application, maybe something you might want to jot down and just take a walk with. Ask the Lord. Ask a good friend who will tell you the truth. Am I unreasonable? Just pray. Is there an area in your life where where you're being unreasonable? Listen, the writer of Proverbs says this, it's better to live, and the Holy Spirit is the ultimate author of Proverbs, so it's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a quarrelsome wife in a lovely home. Hey, the Bible says that twice, okay? So what does this mean when God says something twice? It means we need to take a walk with it, all right? So the idea here is, man, actions speak louder than words, and beauty is both inward and outward. This is is the way to to exercise, man, this, this, this loving submission in your relationship. I'm giving you tools here, ladies, all right? Um... Listen, Peter says, let your beauty stem from the hidden person of the heart. Proverbs says that as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. In other words, the things that we hold in our hearts become what we are. You know, uh, again, Jesus, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you're in a situation right now where you've got anger and bitterness and resentment because your marriage hasn't been working the way it ought to be and your husband hasn't been the head as he should be and you have taken that position of leadership because somebody's got to do it for crying out loud and now you're angry, now you're bitter, now you're resentful and you've hidden this thing in your heart. Listen, here's what Paul says to the Philippians. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Meditate means that's what you focus on. And so if you're in the marriage that I've just described, refrain from focusing on, grow up, man, and I'm angry at you and all this, and rather focus on the things that I'm saying because it's the truth of God's word. And it's not because he deserves it. By the way, I struggle with the lineup of Ephesians 5. Because I think God ought to go after the men who aren't leading first. But he doesn't. He, he, he addresses the women first. I don't, I, I don't fully understand it, but I think it's instructive. 
And the reason I think it's instructive is because sometimes, um, frequently, women are more receptive to spiritual things than men are. And so I think maybe somebody's got to be the first to change. In the same attitude that says, well, someone's got to do it. If he ain't going to do it, I'm going to do it. I would say it's instructive that God deals with you first and, and fight against the enemy who might attack your heart and say, uh, you know, hey, um, why should you do all this stuff? He certainly doesn't deserve it. Rather, meditate on, hey, this is what God tells me to do. And for sure, this will be the key to bringing healing and bringing health to our marriage relationship. And God addresses you first, so this is why we're talking to you first about it. So meditate on these things. Listen, ultimately what you do with this and when you do this, it's very precious to the Lord. Again, the writer of Proverbs, charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. So, there are going to be situations that come up that, that are difficult. There's going to be situations that come up that cause you to, to, to think, um, how can I possibly submit to, I mean, you know, I joked about, hey, I want to sell everything and move to Pig's Knuckle, Arkansas. Some of you have to deal with that. And, and the most difficult thing that I've seen is when women have to deal with things that are consequential, not just to them, but to their children. And this, this, is, this is where wisdom is indicated. But, but, you know, again, the prayerful thing of, is this sin? Because there's a difference between foolishness and sin. And, and we all are foolish from time to time. If, if your husband is being foolish, yes, you need to speak wisdom to him. Yes, you need to encourage him. But ultimately, you need to submit to his decision. And if there's consequences to that foolish decision, well, then you're going to have to go through those. There ain't no teacher like the burnt finger. And, and so, you know, and the Bible talks about, you know, if you rescue an angry man, you're going to have to rescue him again. Uh, and, and the thing is, is it, it, if you rescue anyone, you'll have to rescue them again. Sometimes the best thing you can do is let your husband hit something hard. Just let him hit it hard and let him deal with the consequences. And, uh, and so, you know, yeah, wisdom's indicated. And yeah, when you make a decision that's going to, this going to be hard on me, it's going to be hard on my kids, whatever it is, pray. But ultimately, you've got to turn them over to the Lord, and you have to, to do the, all of these things that I've just described. All right. So actions speak louder in word. Beauty is, is both inward and outward. Here's the final point, and I'll close on this point. Cultivate mentoring relationships. Cultivate mentoring relationships. Again, verse 5, he says, For in this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Listen, some of y'all, the best thing you can do is to get together with godly women who will instruct you and who will encourage you. We don't have time to turn there, but if you look in Titus chapter 2, and I would encourage you to focus on verses 1 through 5 of Titus chapter 2. Consider this homework. But it talks there about how the older women are to assist the younger women. And, and there are some of y'all, you're older women in the, in the faith, you're mature, and I would encourage you to, to get involved in, in mentoring younger women. 
Because there's a lot of wisdom that can be had. And, and, and in, in Titus chapter 2, it, it, among other things, it's, it teaches the older women, teach the younger women how to love their husbands. And it's interesting, the focus isn't, you know, well, I'll just tell you what the focus is on. It's on teaching them how to be friends with their husband. That's the idea. See, there, there's, there's so much, so much richness that can come in the marriage relationship. And older women have learned the importance of being able to connect with their husbands on a friendship level and, and being able to have that kind of communion in that kind of environment. And it's critically important. It's interesting. There was a, a situation in uh, Monterey Bay. For, for generations and generations, the, the fishermen would come back from catching fish in Monterey Bay and they would throw the, the, the guts and everything of the of the, the fish that they would clean at the docks, they would throw the guts out to all the pelicans. And so uh, pretty soon the, you know, the pelicans, just that's, they knew where their meal was coming from. They'd wait for the fishing fleet to come in, and, they, and that's where they ate. Well, then what happened is in the 20s and 30s, those innards became valuable because they started using them commercially for, for fertilizer. And so now the fishermen, they, they didn't have to, to, to throw the guts away. They kept them. It was another source of revenue for them. And so overnight, the pelicans stopped getting fed. And what happened is they started to, to die off because they'd forgotten how to fish. They'd forgotten how to hunt for their own fish. And so their food source dried up and they died off. And so what happened, the scientists got involved and what they did is they imported pelicans from the south to the north strategically, and the, the pelicans in the south, they, they knew how to fish because they didn't have the same situation there. And so these southern pelicans began to instruct the northern pelicans how to feed, how to eat, and they saved uh, all the pelicans. And the same point is true for you women in terms of cultivating, mentoring relationships. It's very important. There's things that you need to be instructed in, and there are women in our church that are available to help you do that. Um, our women's ministry, our mops ministry, our mentoring ministry, discipleship ministry, those are all things that you need. And I would just strongly encourage you, if, you, if you're in a situation, that that, that that would be critically important. Now, as we close, here's my challenge for you. Submission is key, both for you women, submitting to your husbands, submitting yourself to the Lord, and for you men who have placed your wives in a really bad position because you haven't submitted to the Lord and and leading like you should. So as we pray and as we close and we partake of communion, I just would have you keep in mind that this bread, this cup, highly significant, these themselves are the very emblems of Jesus Christ who submitted himself to the will of God. And aren't we so much the better for it?